This is Real Estate Team Builders, and I'm your host, Lars Hedenborg, the founder of Real Estate B-School. The real estate team building world is driven by big egos who boast about how many homes they've sold or how much GCI they've earned. We don't hear much about their low profit margins, the long hours they put in each week, or the unbearable stress they endure. In fact, I've discovered that most real estate teams are losing money when you consider the amount of personal production their owners must do to make ends meet. I believe that if you want to profitably scale your real estate team without working crazy hours, enduring unhealthy levels of stress, or coming up short at home, then thinking like a business owner, building sustainable systems, and empowering your team are absolute musts. You won't find any smoke and mirrors or hype here on my podcast, just the real world tools, systems, and strategies that work. So if you struggle to balance growing your real estate business with focusing on the areas of life that truly matter, then this show is for you. All right, what's up, real estate team builders? This is going to be an awesome episode. And if I've ever had a, a, a sort of platonic crush on another man, <laughs> it's Mike McCallowitz. And, and uh read every book that he's written, uh, Clockwork, that we're going to spend our time on today here. He's uh, written that, uh, sort of rewritten that book. Um, Mike, give us a quick intro, and there's a lot that we want to get into on uh, Clockwork Expanded and uh, Revised, but quick intro on you, and uh, I'm sure I'll have tons of questions along the way. Well, I reciprocated platonic crush to you, so there's part of it. <laughs> uh, and uh, just a quick intro to me. I'm an author for small business and uh, it's, it's my passion because I too am a small business owner. Actually, I've been that my entire adult life, but not a good one. Uh, I have had a lot of mistakes made a lot of errors and uh, devoted the last 15 years to find all the fixes I need from sustainable profitability, uh, permanent profitability now to um, business efficiencies where I have the personal freedom I always desired. Ironically, in my experience now in research, most businesses, the two desires that business owners have are never achieved. One is financial freedom. One is personal freedom. I want to worry about bills and I want to have all the time to do what I want. And that's the reason we start our businesses as the majority of business owners and very few achieve it. And I was struggling with that. So I set out to fix that for myself in so many aspects I have, and I continue to grow and learn stuff, but everything I write or experience, I write and codify and share it through the books um, like clockwork and profit first and so forth. Yeah, awesome. And, you, and your mission, I want to have you touch on it real brief, briefly. It's it's very simple. And, and if there's one person that's been so clear on what they're going to do to make an impact uh, for business owners, it's eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. Uh, and then I, I have to tell everybody, at a minimum, the pumpkin plan, profit first and clockwork. It's like generate dollars coming in, make sure there's enough so you actually have some profit and you generate uh, net worth. And then today we'll be talking about the time freedom piece, but talk a little bit about your mission and then let's get into, you know, what's new about the book and why would you sort of rewrite another book when there's probably others that you yeah, have there's others to do. And there are so many I want to do. Thanks for suggesting that try out of books. I'd recommend those too. Um, here, I'll show you something cool. I'll turn over my camera here, but uh, that mission is not just like words I use, but you can see there on my wall. It's my reminder. Awesome. This is my office. Also in my house, I have it. Um, I actually use it as a mantra. It is so important to me. What I call or what, how I define entrepreneurial poverty is that vision we've talked about, personal freedom, financial freedom. There's other forms of freedom where we're just living in a joyous state through our business. That's here. 
The reality though, is we're here. We're, we're working our asses off. We're not making money. We're fearful of our business. It's taking control of us. That gap is entrepreneurial poverty. And my commitment is to close that gap. I think, I know entrepreneurs must be wildly successful and profitable. They, they are the economy. If small business fails, we're all done. Um, we need freedom. Our job as entrepreneurs is not to do the work. Our job as entrepreneurs is to create jobs. And the trap of, of doing the work actually prevents other people from working in the company that we've created. Um, so my entire perspective is around that. And there's 300 million of us globally, plus more now, but 300 million small businesses. And most of us are stuck in entrepreneurial poverty. And my life's devotion is to fix that for all of us. In reality, I know in my lifetime, it's not going to happen. So I'm writing these books to be a form of impact beyond my livelihood. Beyond my life, beyond my life. Awesome. So let's get into uh, Clockwork. So you're, yeah. uh, I don't know when the relaunch is, but you can obviously share share all of that. But it's expanded, revised. Why why sort of revisit a, a book, you know, that was launched a, a few years ago, right? Yeah, was, I launched it, I think about five, four to five years ago. And um, the relaunch is happening all, end of August of 2022. So why to do it is, what's interesting is when I write a book. The only case studies I have are the people who've implemented it through service experiences. They worked with me personally, or maybe I have a small division that's teaching it. We've experimented with our own companies. There is a bias in that when, when someone's being walked through a process, they have another individual coaching them through it. So you can be dynamic. But when reading a book, it's one sentence and then the next. There's no dynamic dialogue. So what I found is when I codify, when I document what we're doing in the teachings and working with other businesses, it doesn't mean that when someone reads it, it's going to translate back perfectly. And the feedback was on, on clockwork was um, there's so many parts of the system I'm, I love, or I'm trying to implement, but parts of it are confusing. Some of it seems redundant. I'm stuck here. And so when I start hearing enough, I'm stuck here. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need to fix that because it needs to be presented a new way. So clockwork when I revise and expand a book, I revise and expand a book. It's 60% all new content. I mean, more than the majority of it has been gutted and rebuilt. 40% of it's been reorganized, realigned, and, and, and made to run more smoothly. But the idea is now that people can pick up the book and get it done successfully throughout without any questions, without saying, I don't really understand this or I need more guidance. I don't, if you want to seek guidance, we have an organization that will help with that. I want people to be able to leave this book and say, I got everything nailed down 100% correctly. And that's why I rewrote it. Just to give context, I did that with Profit First. Profit First, as it exists today, is a revised and expanded edition. And once I re-released it, I was able to simplify the system so much that the vast majority of people who read the book never need anything beyond just reading it and implementing it. And that's my expectation for this new version of Clockwork. Yeah. And these are books just for everyone. I mean, uh, and you're going to do the audible on the second uh, edition. Yeah. I, just, I got one more recording. It's audible, I mean, it just kind of makes the whole experience, you know, just having you, uh, hearing in your voice, voice in your quirkiness and yeah, yeah. just all of it is awesome. Uh, but guys, these are books that are read and, and like implemented. This is not just like throw it in, like as you're running and, you know, it's going to sort of lift you up. This is stuff you actually have to do. So maybe dig into specifically the, the big concepts of the book. You know, this is going to be a challenging time. I think we both agree on yeah. the next two, three, five years or. Yeah. Oh yeah. The heck knows. But um, so touch on the, the, the key elements of the clockwork system, but specifically what you revisited, why let's kind of unpack it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all indicators are we're going into a recession 
uh, you know, this inflation that's happening now, we may be approaching, hopefully not, but hyperinflation. And uh, the only way to get in front of it is by being proactive. Now, I believe, and I truly do believe this, that we as small business owners can make a choice not to participate in a recession, meaning you don't just have to roll over and take the punch. Large corporations kind of forced into it. When, when they're serving a mass community, uh, they can't they can't retain all those customers. They're going to lose a percentage. But a small business, uh, they may lose some customers, but there's opportunities to gain those one or two or 10 or 20 you lose. Like it's, it's We're talking about smaller numbers, which in this case is to our advantage. But one of the things that we need to do to not participate in the recession is to build efficiency. The more you can get done with less resources translates to greater sustainability, translates to greater profitability. So one of the things... Um, I tackled, actually, maybe I'll start right in the heart of it, is, is the concept of the QBR. And uh, we were talking offline about this, but the QBR is the queen bee role. Essentially, it is the essence, the heartbeat of a company. What I mean by this, it's the activity within a company that most supports its promise to its consumers. So how I wrote about before, I did this kind of reverse logic thing. You, you, what all your QBRs could be, and then you kind of hone in on it, but it actually caused confusion. So I'm approaching it from a different angle and we're starting off with what I call the big promise. What is of all the promises we make to our clients, what's the most important? And uh, an example, you know, with FedEx, we promise to deliver your packages on time. You know, if it absolutely positively needs to be delivered overnight. Now FedEx has a lot of other things. They have a packaging department. Um, they have uh, large shipment containers and they can manage large shipments uh, that are outside the ordinary. Um, they have print shops. They acquired the Kinko's a long time ago. Those are all things they do. Those are all promises they deliver on. But of all the things, they are staking their reputation mostly on their ability to deliver overnight. So once we know what our promise is, and, and if you don't know your promise, it's real simple. Call your customers and say, what do you think of us? What's the most important thing we do for you? Why do you hire us? And look for the common thread. That's likely the big promise. Now you can choose to change that if you wish, but that's what the customers see in you. So I would lean into it. And then once we know the promise, the big commitment we make to our customers, that one thing, we ask ourselves of all the activities, what single activity is the most important in delivering that? Now you may do many things like FedEx does many things to deliver packages overnight. They have people driving trucks. They got to fuel the trucks. So fueling trucks is important. They have to figure out the routes. They have to do all these things, um, including they have logistical software, software that manages and tracks all packages. Of all those things that they prioritize at what most delivers on delivering packages on time and it's logistics. It's knowing where packages are gonna be at certain times so they can continue on their route. So that's the most important. All those things are important, but that's the most important. Then what FedEx needs to do and what we need to do is once we know what our QBR is, the queen bee role, heart of the business, we always must make sure that's humming along. It must always be served. You can't say, you know what, today we're not gonna worry about logistics. We're just gonna worry about cleaning our trucks and making more shiny today. No, got to focus and ensure that the core activity is always working. And, and just to put a little ribbon on this, if, if uh, FedEx says tomorrow, you know what, we're going to clean our trucks. That's all we're going to do. Let's stop doing logistics. All the people that support that division, let's move them to truck cleaning because we want the shiniest trucks in the world. What will happen probably a week from now is the headlines in New York Times will say, uh, FedEx has the shiniest trucks in the industry, but they don't know where an effing package is, right? It's, <clears throat> it's all lost. Now, conversely, FedEx could say, let's take the people who are polishing those trucks and let's move them to the logistics department and help out. Now the headline a week from now says, FedEx has the dirtiest trucks in the world, 
but gosh darn it, every single package has been delivered. In, in the first scenario where they ignore logistics, the mighty FedEx that's worth billions and billions of dollars goes out of business pretty quickly. In the second scenario where they stop polishing and, and cleaning the trucks, it may hurt them, it may injure them, but their core competency of logistics stays in place and they continue to flourish. We small businesses need to know the QBR and that's the way to do it. Start the big promise. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm just thinking of like just my own journey. I shared, you know, before we hit the record, you know, I've, I sort of got distracted in a second thing and then just yeah. don't even think I really, I had clocked work the business, but it, the clock got off the rails or something. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but let's talk about in the uh, original version, it was a, a 4D model, do decide, delegate design. Yeah. It, there's now a 50. So Correct. talk about the core, you know, model. Why'd you add a 50? What is the 50? Unpack that. Yeah. Part. And it came out of us, uh, of readers coming back and saying, you know, uh, there's a problem here. And, and now it's pretty obvious. So let me talk what the four Ds are. And, and that framework stays. That's the essence of it. The four Ds is a throttle, if you will, of the transition of a role of an owner, but also the balance of the company. Probably better explained, uh, better to understand as I explain it. Every business must be doing activities. Doing is the delivery of services, uh, the the infrastructural work behind delivery services, meaning the support work. So maybe I wash uh, houses, I wash the side of a house, but also invoicing is a doing activity that allows me to sustain that. Doing activities represent the vast majority of activity of a business. There's three other activities of significance, but they don't happen nearly as frequently. The next D is deciding. Deciding is where we're actively making decisions in the moment where we can take multiple courses. And in many businesses, it's where the owner is deciding on the behalf of other people. So as an owner goes through this model, when I first start out of business, it's all me, I'm doing everything. I bring on that first contractor or team member or employee. And now that employee comes to me and says, hey, what should I do in this circumstance? Should I drive it to this client or should I go to that client? And we, the owners, sit back and say, well, go to client two first because it's actually better for the route. We make a decision for them. And then that employee comes back and says, well, I need another decision. Should I you know, leave a, uh, the invoice on their door or should I put in the mailbox? Oh, historically, we have left the mailbox, but now we're going to change that and start putting on the door. What happens in that scenario is the employee is doing the activity. The owner is deciding. And um, we think we're delegating. That's the word we use. But we're actually making decisions for them which prevents them from growing and taking authority or ownership over their role. As an employee, it's a safer. Keep coming back and asking the boss because whatever the boss says, if you do it, you did what the boss said. That's a good thing. If it works out, you're the winner. And if it fails, the boss was guilty. So it's a trap. And also it serves the ego of the boss. Like I'm in control here. But it's a major trap because you can only decide for so many people. There's a Hindu goddess named Kali and Kali is a single female head with eight arms. And that's what we become one brain controlling those components. I think it's, of all the small businesses in the globe, I think it's over 95% have less than three employees because the decision making is all done through that. Sometimes you have to decide. As people come to speed, you got to kind of give them some guidance. But delegating is where we want to move to. And it's different than deciding. Deciding is where we task rabbit somebody. Delegation is the assignment of outcomes. It's the assignment of ownership over roles. Instead of saying, hey, what, you know, what house should I go to for our paint wash company uh, or side washing company? I say to the employee, hey, it's really important that we optimize our routes. Why do you think it's important? We have a dialogue around it. Well, you know, it's more efficient. We get more done in a day. Great. I want you to take charge of your routing and, and so forth. And uh, just keep me posting your progress. That's what delegation is. 
Now, the one, one thing you have to be aware of here is employees will come back and say, ah, what do you think? I'm thinking about this. Don't decide for them. Now you're relegating yourself back to deciding. Invite them to make decisions. And even if they're not optimal in your perception or they're wrong, you still have to support the fact they made a decision. That assigns ownership. That gives them control, and they can start expanding out. That's what true delegation is, the assignment of outcomes, not tasks. The last one in the past was designing. Designing is where we're futuristically looking and optimizing the business to move forward. It's where an owner, my belief, or at least the leader of the company, where they need to concentrate the majority of their energy. We want to go here. How are we going to get here and get everyone aligned on this path to getting there effectively? It is actually the hardest work. And yet many business owners say, well, if I'm not doing, I'm not serving the company. If you're not designing, you're not serving the company. We need to extract you from doing. So the business always has people doing, some deciding, some delegating, but we need to transfer you from that doing phase to delegation. I mean, to uh, designing. And the last D that uh, was introduced to me was downtime. And particularly with the COVID crisis that just happened, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about deliberately assigning downtime. It was, you know, I, I was going through the time tracking for myself. It's one of the uh, processes I explain in the book. And I was just doing it recently. And um, it's a, always an eye opener for me. I was like, my gosh, there's no intentional downtime breaks. And it is very clear humans, we have a, we have a battery. We can only produce so much. There was a study that came out of England around knowledge workers that identified that the average worker is productive for 3.2 hours a day, regardless mm -hmm. of how many hours they work. If they work five, eight, or 10 as a knowledge worker, they're producing about 3.2 hours of output. So I was like, wow, we need that downtime, which ironically doesn't necessarily mean the company says, all right, go on break for an hour and come back. You could. But what we've done is we've hired a lot of part-time employees because the downtime is something they do on their own time. They uh, do whatever they want at home or whatever their agenda is. That's not work. And then when they come in, they're producing much more efficiently. So downtime needs to be a deliberate thing. It's, it's like that app in your iPhone or smartphone when you check and you see the battery draining. You have to, at a certain point, plug it back in to get fully recharged. We humans need that too. Uh, you can't do it once a night, uh, it, like a bigger battery. There has to be breaks throughout the day or, or, uh, or working in smaller sprints as opposed to this long, drawn-out eight-hour day. Awesome. And um, go into a little bit. I know in, in, in the second, uh, this, this revised edition, another thing that you reworked based on the feedback was the, the three T's and, and, and okay. how, how that happened. So go, go through that a little bit. I also watched a webinar earlier today that you did when COVID had just hit. And I want to get your perspective on the business crisis trends. So I'm going to ask. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you got it. So uh, hit the three T's first. The three T's, yeah, because gonna... that's another big change in this new book. So the T's are about managing work. So once we track what and how we're utilizing time, we need to analyze our time and say, is this work I'm doing first uh, necessary? And if it's not, I can trash it. My own business and many businesses that I've had the privilege of, of working with do work just because it was historically significant, but there's no relevance now. Literally, I had a newsletter I was sending out to my uh, readership and I forgot to do it one month. It was a monthly one. And the one month I forgot, not a single person on the thousand plus recipient list emailed me and said, oh, where's this month's newsletter? And it's like, uh-oh. So the next month I didn't send it, no one said anything. The third month I sent one and I didn't send one again and no one said anything. I was like, no one's reading this. I am spending hours and hours creating something of no value. That's very trashable. So look at the work you do. Is there stuff that's simply not necessary? Trash it. That's a massive way to gain back time. And it's surprising how much stuff is trashable. 
The next one is, is it transferable? What we always want to do is be taking um, work that can be handled by someone else at a lower cost point, ideally, uh, and, and transfer that work off. So you, each individual, can specialize on their primary job, their super strength, their zone of genius. We want to lean into where we're strong. So try to transfer out uh, to other people certain work and ideally transfer stuff that's their strength. So I'm not great at invoicing. I was doing it for a long time for my business. I don't like to do it. It's necessary. It's a necessary evil. And that's what I thought about always. And I gave it to someone here and said, oh my gosh, I love invoicing. I love the detail. It feels good to do. I'm like, it's not a necessary evil. This is my joy. I'm like, oh my God, really? So I transferred to that person. They're excelling at it. Uh, and what I didn't realize is just because I think it's a necessary evil doesn't mean it's evil to someone else. And the last one uh, is trim. Sometimes we have to do the work ourselves, but can you do it more efficiently? Is there ways to remove componentry? Um, I do a lot of, uh, I was doing a lot of work with our team. It's a very small business. There's 10 of us here, but meeting with everyone individually. And I found, wow, if we just do a, huddle, a daily huddle, it takes 10 minutes. We can get a lot of stuff done that was taking a couple of hour meetings uh, here and there, meeting with small groups. And that brought a trans efficiency. It's still a meeting. It's just a different form and it's trimmed the process. Um, so that's, that's the three T's. The, uh, oh my gosh, the fourth T slipped my mind just for a second. It'll like spring back. Oh, treasure. And treasure is there certain work that is our zone of genius. And that's actually the work that needs to be amplified. See, it was all about reducing workload, but you know, it, or moving it around. But at a certain point, work needs to be amplified in your area of genius or zone of genius. What do you like to do or love to do and you're good at? And when you can blend those two, give it to that person because they will treasure and amplify it. Just like my invoicing person here loves it. And invoicing is getting so much better. Well, for me, um, I love being the spokesperson for a company. So this is my joy and I love writing. So almost all my work is dedicated to that. I believe a really truly clockworked business, the owner isn't needed. You've removed yourself from any dependency on you. And then you have the right to reinsert yourself in a joyful way. And so now I'm doing for the majority, it's not perfect, but for the majority of time, I'm doing the things I love to do. And that's what treasure is. That's awesome. Any, you know, hearing you uh, chat, uh, through this, any advice for the business owner as it relates to their their personal life? Like I was uh, running in my neighborhood and this guy is doing mulch in my yard and he has his earbuds in and he's singing at the top of his lungs, enjoying every moment of yeah. like putting this mulch in my yard. And it just any advice or do you see, you know, uh, business owners get tripped up or entrepreneurs that kind of, you know, they're still mowing their lawn, but they're trying to, you know, generate a seven figure income. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that analogy. Yes. When someone else is doing the work, if, if we see something as cumbersome, it doesn't mean someone else does. So you, you found someone that loves what they're doing and they're excelling at it. So I think the realization that um, it is not, we're not being heroes by taking on more work. We're actually disempowering others from doing what would make them feel like a hero. So we have to realize that framing is so important. And when I started off, I said, you know, the job of an entrepreneur is to be a creator of jobs, not do the job. You're not impressing anyone, I think, by working longer hours. It's funny, with my team, as we were clock working here, I said, one of the things I'm going to do is take a four-week vacation. And I said, I, but I'm so hesitant to do this because I, I think you're going to receive this as saying, oh, Mike's going to drink my ties for four weeks as we carry the load and make him all this money. He's a dick. And uh, so that's what I was expecting. And they said, all right, we got this. 
the framing they gave me, and I was like, why didn't I think of this, is empowerment. They had an opportunity to step into roles they couldn't before because I was the one doing the block and tackling. I was out of here. They saw trust, the transfer trust that I trusted them to carry this to the distance. And that's what we did. We uh, clockworked the business. I've gone on a four-year vacation now ever since publishing that book. This is my fifth or sixth consecutive year of doing it. I'm doing it again this uh, fall. But here's the coolest thing. Two years ago, the president of our company, Kelsey, said, uh, I think we all need to take a four-week vacation, every single employee. I'm like, well, why? She's like, Mike, when you left, we had to form redundancy for you. Other people had to know the systems. If I leave and everyone else leaves, we have to have redundancy. So every employee here at our company goes on a four-week vacation for the last uh, two years. It's fully paid. And it sounds like the most amazing benefit to employees. And, and it may be. But the biggest benefactor or beneficiary, I should say, is the company itself. because. Every person has a backup. And if they go on an unexpected fortification, they quit or something happens in their lives, they can't be available for the business. We have the backups already in place. Yeah. Awesome. And I want to honor your time, but I've got you for two more minutes. So the business yeah. crisis trend and the webinar I was watching, you know, you were kind of getting into it a little bit with COVID hitting and all the yeah. small businesses shutting down, but it almost seemed like we kicked the can for a couple of years and like, I know, like, you know, we're starting this curve over again. Any yeah. advice, you know, on the, on the sort of the, the, the mentality or mindset going into what we're going in as we, as we end the episode here? Yeah. So I found there's five kind of predictable uh, elements that happen when, when a recession hits. And uh, one of the indicators, by the way, is the economy's already crumbling, but it's below the surface, right? So everything looks fine. But then you step on that thin ice and we fall through and we go into a shock moment. So when we go into a full out recession, and I think there's strong indicators it's going to happen for many of us, or almost all of us, it'll be a shock. The question is how long before you start swimming? And so realize it's going to happen. Like what? I'm losing clients. What? No one's spending money anymore. What? Realize you got to get through that phase quickly. Then we have to get, move on. I'm going to kind of go to other steps rapidly, but deliberate action is a big thing. Once you uh, realize that we're going through this change, you have to consider what you're going to do, but you have to take action to move the business forward. And the biggest thing you need to consider is what got you to this point probably won't carry you forward. There's inevitably adjust in, adjustment in the business that needs to be made. The number one people who can give you that advice is your clients. So ask your clients, we're still here, we're ready to serve you, but we may need to serve you in a new way. What serves you best now? Ask your clients. The most interesting part, and this takes us to the tail end, is a surge is coming too. So through every dip, historically, throughout the history of time, there's always been a recovery. So I think we have pretty good odds we'll recover in some way, maybe a new way, but we will recover. What happens during the recovery period is this. So demand uh, stopped and went down during the recession. Well, supply has to drop. Businesses are go out of business. Your competition will fade out because there's not enough business to go around. Then it stays down and the supply curve, the demand curve now are at the new low level. But when demand reactivates after recession, it usually reactivates pretty quickly and it starts surging back up supply can't respond as quickly. So there's a period of time where demand outpaces supply by an exponential factor. That's the opportunity to lap up tons of business, but you got to be prepared for it. Three years from now, or a year from now, or five years from now, once we get through the recession, what's going to happen is clients are going to come back in with reckless abandon, and they're going to be seeking solutions. We have to have a clockwork structure so that we can scale. If we simply are just fighting and trying to survive, you can try to take more clients, but you're not going to have the infrastructure to support it. So during the struggling times, you got to keep on building efficiencies, more and more efficiencies, because when the rebound comes, that's your biggest opportunity to grow. Awesome. What's the best way to plug into the, to the book? 
Best way is go to uh, clockwork.life. If you want to check out the book, and if you want to check out me, go to mikemotorbike.com. That's my nickname. No one can spell Michalowicz, but mikemotorbike.com has Clockwork, the revised expanded edition there, plus other resources for you. Awesome. Mike, you're a legend. I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Would you please take a minute to share the show with other team leaders who may be struggling? And if you love the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to learn step-by-step how to build a profitable real estate team that allows you to get out of the real estate grind and live the lifestyle you've been dreaming about, visit us at joinrebs.com. That's joinrebs.com. Our coaching, training systems, and support will help you get more high-quality leads, increase your conversions and sales, improve your client experience, and allow you to scale your real estate business, all while reducing the amount of hours you work and the stress you endure. Just go to joinrebs.com for more info now. See you on the next episode.